the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we're all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You are on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at ShalomKlein.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content information you will not want to miss. So let's jump right into it. My first guest became a millionaire before he was 30, despite having zero financial literacy education growing up. That is right. I'm talking to uh, Chicago's very own uh, Jeff Bado. Jeff, welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you, Shalom. How's it going? It's a pleasure. I'm, I'm great. You know, I've been looking forward to this conversation. So I love your story and I love what you are doing. That is, uh, that is indeed what it is all about. So, uh, so Jeff, let's talk about your, you know, your, your, your background growing up in Chicago and, um, we'll certainly get to, uh, the impact that you are having in a big, big, big way. Jeff, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I'm originally born and raised in Ghana which um, basically is on the west side of Africa and ultimately was able to move to the U.S. when I was eight years old. I migrated with my older sister and my parents were already here in the U.S. And things were growing up, things were pretty good. But when we got to the U.S., we were put into a neighborhood known as Uptown in Chicago. And for those who may not know, Uptown at the time wasn't the most pleasant neighborhood to put a young child that's growing up. So long story short, I unfortunately surrounded myself with the wrong people or the wrong crowd. And, you know, ultimately I was able to go back to Ghana in basically when I was 16. And that's when I really discovered my purpose in life, which is to inspire and support the super hungry to take hold of infinite resources in order to create an abundant lifestyle. Essentially, when I went back to Ghana, I saw people struggling firsthand. I saw a lady carrying two babies wrapped around her back, basically. She had two babies wrapped around her back, and then she had a huge load of apples, oranges, you know, whatever to make ends meet. And I said, you know what? I'm meant to help that person. I'm meant to be a part of the solution you know, to scarcity and to poverty and not the problem. And so I said, you know what? I've had all this opportunity. I got a chance to go to America. Why should I mess it all up? And I said, I need to step it up. I need to go harder. Everything I did was three times as harder. 
my grades got better in school. I surrounded myself with, you know, uh, more like-minded friends. And yeah, I mean, ultimately things turned around in a big way. And I also got more tapped into my spiritual life and, you know, really went to church and just, just was able to really turn things around. I actually read the Bible, half the Bible when I was 16 years old. Amazing. Uh, Jeff, that's an incredible story. I'm talking to Jeff Bader, who really, really uh, fascinating story. Moving again um, from Ghana to Uptown at eight. And then uh, now I understand you're back in Uptown and now you have many entities. And we're going to talk about about several of them um, in particular, again, that impact piece. Um, but Jeff, you are now a licensed C CPA. Uh, the founder of Beidou Enterprises, LLC, as well as uh, Beidou Tax Services, LLC. So let's briefly talk about your businesses and then uh, segue over to uh, to that impact that you're hoping to have on Chicago's youth and no doubt global impact as well. Yeah, so in a nutshell, when I was able to turn things around when I was 16, I was able to go to college when I was 18 at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And... When I was starting, I actually started a business plan. I said I wanted to start my own tax firm in order to provide tax services to individuals and businesses. And ultimately, I kept going with that. And, you know, I started with a few clients and just getting a good feel for it, getting a good good feel for the business and everything like that. I also had another business plan, Badu Investments LLC, which is my real estate investment um, company. And ultimately, I was interning at a big four public accounting firm known as PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers. And then from 2015 to 2016, I left the firm to launch my business, activate my business plan, the first one being Badu Tax Services LLC, which is a tax firm that does tax preparation, tax planning, and tax representation for individuals and businesses across all 50 states in the US. And we also have clients in over 20 countries now at the moment. So it's a very, very fast growing company. Started from scratch, started from a business plan, business idea in 2010. And then fast forward to now, you know, it's um, it's a company that's fast growing, has 30 team members on board. And also we have, you know, that's part of the 12 companies within the Badu Enterprises brand, which is a multinational conglomerate in the finance industry. And so for a station identification, I'm talking with uh, with Jeff Badu, who, uh, again, um, quite successful. But Jeff, I have to ask again, how old are you? So I'm 28 years old currently. 28. Oh, my goodness. And you're continuing to have an awesome impact um, in so many ways. And because of your age, you have a voice. You have a certain voice. Um, and, uh, and you've made a decision instead of, uh, focusing in a, uh, corporate job, which no doubt, um, you mentioned, uh, PricewaterhouseCooper, um, you know, no doubt you can make a lot of money and, and that line of work. You've explored your entrepreneurial dreams and journeys. Certainly you can, um, make a huge impact in the world of business, but you are, you have a message to share. So let's talk about the Badu Foundation, which I know, you uh, you are really putting a lot of effort and energy. Even uh, I, as a busy as a busy CPA, I'm sure your uh, your hours are stretched very very thin. But now you're creating scholarships to fund financial literacy again for the city's most disadvantaged youth. So let's talk about that. I know you love Chicago. Tell us what the Body Foundation is all about. 
Yeah, so the Badu Foundation is a financial literacy nonprofit, 501c3, and it was formed in April of 2020. Essentially, we provide financial literacy education to the youth ages 6 through 18, where we have a program coming up in June. So June of each year is our marquee program where we put the students through a financial literacy course for a month. So via Zoom from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Central every Saturday. And really, we're teaching them about budgeting, saving, investing, scholarships, things that I wish I would have known when I was that age. Um, I wish I would have known some of these things. Nobody really taught me, you know. And so I want to use that opportunity to make somebody better and to help these youth. Now, these youth reside in um, low-income communities, for lack of a better term, underserved, underprivileged communities. And the nice thing is, if they successfully go through the program, they actively participate, they're actively involved, they get books, they get books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, for example. So as long as they're participating in the program, they get a $500 scholarship at the end of the program. And they can repeat the program each year up until the age of 18. And with that, once they hit 18, they can be an instructor of the program. And we're going by the notion of give a man a fish, he eats for one day. Teach a man how to fish, he eats for the rest of his life. And he teaches the next man how to fish as well. Wow. Well, Jeff, um, we're running out of time. And I obviously want to make sure our listeners know where they can find you. But my last question is really your, your vision. Um, you're 28 years old. Um, at age 35, what um, what do you want to see different about your businesses as well as Chicago as a whole? All of that in 30 seconds, please. All right. So in 30 seconds, um, basically, my purpose in life is to inspire and support the super hungry to take hold of infinite resources in order to create an abundant lifestyle. By 35, I see myself as a billionaire. I see myself as making a massive impact in the financial literacy space. We plan to impact over 100,000 students by then. And, you know, I see Chicago as a much better community. And by the way, this program is not just for Chicago. In the future, it's going to be for other places as well. I know. It's going to be global. I have no doubt about that. Uh, Jeff Badu, how can people learn more about you, your businesses, and the impact you're having? Yeah, easiest way is on my website, which is jeffbadu.com. Um, that's J-E-F-F-B-A-D-U.com. That's where you find all updates, all financial literacy resources and everything like that. Um, you know, you can also shoot me an email at jeffbadu at gmail.com and check out the foundation's website at badufoundation.org. Definitely appreciate it, Sean. Absolutely. No, thank you for all that you are doing. Um, truly an honor to have you. And I'm excited to uh, continue to follow your story, your journey, um, which uh, no doubt will... Uh, will be a story uh, for, for the book. So, uh, Jeff Badu, thanks so much for joining us. And listeners, stick around because coming after the break, I'm going to be joined by Dan Rogers, who's going to talk about his story, which uh, is absolutely fascinating. So don't touch that dial. Let's get down to business. Hey, welcome back to Chicago. You're listening to Get Down to Business. And uh, whether you're in Chicago tuning in on AM560, uh, or you are tuning in from anywhere around the world, that's right. Our podcasts are available on your favorite podcast app. Just look for Get Down to Business. So as promised, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dan Rogers, who uh, has quite the story. You are following a mentality. 
We're going to talk about that, but I always love to get to know the person behind the microphone. Dan Rogers, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so uh, I'm a uh, Seattle, uh, almost Seattle native, Seattle since the mid 80s, and uh, married to two young boys, uh, five and five and three, and uh, just excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, such pleasure. And uh, I know family is super duper important. So you, uh, you're being humble over here because you've spent uh, quite a bit of time in building businesses. And, um, and now you are teaching some of those lessons um, to others through the sidekick mentality. So let's start about your businesses. I know you, uh, you were on the Inc. 5000 list for seven years as the CEO of Seattle-based point-to-point transportation. So tell us a little bit about your sort of your entrepreneurial journeys and how that led to a uh, to a mentality um, that you've been that you've been uh, that you've been teaching others. Yeah, so um, been fortunate that really since moving to Seattle, I've just been surrounded by high growth. And um, my first sort of quote unquote real job was uh, just helping some guys try to grow a business themselves. And uh, I found it was just easier to help people <laughs> figure out where they were trying to go and, and help them get there. And that, that experience opening all those restaurants with those guys really demystified business for me. In less than three years, I mean, we, we went from three stores to over 50. And I was right in the center of it. And thank God they never gave me equity or I'd still be rolling burritos. But, but um, it was just a fantastic, fantastic journey to be able to see that level of growth firsthand and be able to participate in all those conversations. And, and uh, so that, that really demystified what it took to run a business. Um, and so from there, I went into sales and uh, uh, eventually bought the company that I was working for. And, and while, while I was in sales, what I found was it was just, just like rolling burritos. It was actually a lot easier to help f- people figure out what they were, what, what they wanted and how to get it. And sometimes that was with us and sometimes that wasn't without us. And, and so over, over the years, we just continued to refine what point-to-point transportation was. And we became a highly specialized corporate event shipping company. And inside of that, um, again, we, we, uh, it, it just becomes easier the, the more refined uh, and, and the person that you're trying to help. And so what we did is, is just over and over again, we just sort of took the sidekick mentality of, who is it that we're serving and how can we help them? And where that's a little different in terms of sort of traditional sales is like everyone we were talking to were people that we could have helped. Right. But really understanding who, who, what they really want isn't always what you can do for them. And so as it relates to shipping, I mean, we could have moved anybody's stuff around, but for us to do great work for those people, we actually really had to put a full program in place. And a lot of people just wanted a shipping company. And so for those folks, we, 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 we let them go to another place and, and uh, we, we continue to sort of run a company around and continue to grow for the people that really wanted our services. So Awesome. And now you're teaching that sidekick mentality in the sales sidekick bootcamp, um, which uh, certainly uh, letting others learn some of those lessons from your very successful career in sales. And um, in addition to that mentality, I know that your life, um, you've talked about your family and your business is really, um, is really uh, governed by uh, what you call the eight restraints. In a nutshell, we don't have time to go through all of them, 
Yeah. But in a nutshell, do you uh, do, are there any takeaways that you would recommend to our listeners um, that they should put in place in the uh, in the week and months ahead? Sure. So I, I think one of the ones. Um, so number five. So all these restraints are sort of just ways to sort of govern uh, this this brain that I have to kind of keep it on the rails. And so one of one of the ones that I would uh, I found most helpful is just to copy off the smartest kid in class. And the smartest kid in class can change mid sentence, right? Like it, it's not it's not a fixed it's not a fixed uh, kid in class. And so what I mean by that is rather than go and figure things out for yourself. If you find successful people and just emulate what they do, that is ridiculously effective. And what I found is, is I can't think of a time when it didn't work that when I took a closer look at it, I actually just wasn't doing it the way they said to do it. Right? And so, so uh, one of those restraints, copying off the smartest kid in class has really benefited me well. And, and so it sounds funny, but I, most of what I, most of what we did at point to point, I learned rolling burritos. It just continued to seeing all these businesses for the same, right? Seeing how they're the same instead of seeing how they're different actually makes them much, much easier to to run and and to help. So, so, so again, I'm chatting with Dan Rogers, um, who uh, is teaching that uh, uh, sales sidekick mentality. So, what are I'm going to go to the question I actually asked an earlier guest as well. As you look in the next five to 10 years, what, what do you hope will, will be different about how businesses conduct themselves? And, and I know that you're going to play a role in it by teaching that, that mentality and helping people become better in sales, better business owners, better leaders. Sure. So what, what I'm hoping that we can have an impact on is I'd really like to sort of raise people's expectations about how they think about business. And when I say business, about running a business. So I like to think, I think the most useful way to think of a business is a system, right? And I think in general, um, if I can be sort of bold, I think that our system design has been too small. We haven't asked our businesses to be bigger and deliver on more fronts. So um, what we're hoping to do at Sales Sidekick is to find folks that their number one obstacle is sales and that we can sort of turn that obstacle into their greatest asset. And so how, how we're doing that is I think in order for a business to be viable, um, there's three subsystems inside of that. And the first one is you know selling it and marketing it. The second one is producing it and delivering it. And then the third one is paying for it and getting paid for it. And I think to be viable... Um, I would evaluate a business as I'd look at each one of those three subsystems, right? Sort of grade them out one through 10. And if you're 24 or higher, you're viable in my book. And you can get, you can get to 24 any way you want. You could be 10, 4, 10. You could be 8, 8, 8, right? But if you want to really grow and get to the next level, eventually you're going to have to be nine or better in sales. So we, we're looking for folks that think they have a 24, but are eight or less on the sales side, because uh, to be brutally candid, um, point to point probably is a six in service delivery, despite the fact that we're a shipping company. You can actually, you can actually be wildly successful with, you know, a nine or a 10 in sales and a 10, we're certainly a 10 on the getting paid and get and, and, and paying for it for sure. Uh, and you can, you can, you can overcome or work around service delivery when those other two pillars are super strong. 
So walk us through, Dan, in, uh, in the minute or so remaining, um, when somebody enters that uh, one of your workshops, what can they expect um, when, they, uh, when they come in regarding the process and what should they expect in coming out of the workshop? Yeah, so hopefully we're going to reframe on that one. We're hoping to reframe how they think about sales, right? Sales, sales is a transfer of enthusiasm about a worldview, right? And we're not trying to get them to see the world our way. We're trying to help them inform themselves as to what their worldview is, because most people don't have a clear understanding of what their worldview is as it relates to the product or service that we're selling. And then how, how they can navigate inside of that worldview to where they want to get to. And because we live inside that worldview, because that's the product and service that we sell, we can help them get to how that is and that's get to where they want to go. And that's, that's what we're hoping to do. I think most people are looking at, hey, we're in this set destination and how do I attract as many people as I can there? And it's really just a, a helping them along the journey. Dan Rogers, uh, you've been a pleasure, and I know our listeners will want to learn more about uh, about everything that you've shared, some of the lessons and tips. How can people get a hold of you and uh, find out more about your programs? Uh, so I think LinkedIn is probably the best place to go. That's sort of where the tip of the funnel is for us. So you can find me at Dan T. Rogers on LinkedIn, um, and uh, there's links off of that to everything else that we're doing. But I think that's the sort of the one stop. Uh, to keep it keep it simple for every, everybody. Dan T. Rogers, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your expertise. We'll be sure to have you back on real soon. And we are going to squeeze in a break, uh, headlines. And when we come back, I will be sharing some tips regarding handshakes in this era of COVID. And we still have more small business jobs and entrepreneurship uh, later on in the program. Don't touch that out. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. So we've all been there, a handshake, maybe it's a light kiss on the cheek, the rubbing noses, the sort of awkward half hugs, all these great ways or, you know, possibilities that we greeted each other in the workplace, elsewhere, depending on culture, country, um, with uh, now that we're living in this world of, of COVID. And, uh, you know, I, I, I certainly have seen over the past uh, week or two how things have certainly started coming back to normal. But really think about it. Are we going to go back to normal? And do you want to be that person that reaches for a hug and the person across from you is, you know, sort of changed their mind and how they how they greet each other in a professional setting. So people everywhere are being urged to rethink how they greet each other to contain the spread of COVID-19 or potentially any other, you know, the flu. You know, we certainly have learned, you know, how to wash our hands and how to be a little bit more careful. So it's interesting. I've been doing some research over the past week um, uh, regarding some other countries. I see that the United Arab Emirates, Qatar, have asked their citizens to stop using the traditional nose-to-nose greeting. Uh, France's Minister of Health is recommending people cut back on the custom of greeting each other with kisses, even air kisses. And uh, the new South Wales Health Minister is telling people, give each other a pat on the back instead of shaking hands. Um, in Beijing, there's billboards that I saw that are promoting the practice of clasping one's own hand in greeting. And loudspeakers across the country are advising using the traditional gong shu gesture of placing one's fist into one's palm. So definitely, um, you have seen likely in the news some uh, some examples of uh, foreign leaders greeting each other uh, with uh, you know bowed heads and so on. So really, let's think about how we are going to get 
back into the workplace. Whether to shake or not shake hands, that is the question. So it certainly is a is an enormous challenge for individuals of all of all kinds in the professional workplace. Um, but I want to highlight actually job seekers. Um, a firm handshake is generally considered the first step in establishing a positive impression in an in-person interview. So uh, we've all been there where uh, you've reached out and extended your hand and, um, and, and it's, you know, somebody's taken aback and all of a sudden they, uh, you know, somebody pulls back from, from that handshake. So think about a couple of suggestions of what you can do. Uh, in advance, you might want to actually reach out and say, uh, ask the person who set up that meeting and ask, is there a policy around the handshakes? Reach out to a contact who works at the organization if you're looking for a job to learn its policy. If there's no policy and you're feeling a little bit nervous, just, you know, just say you're not comfortable with stretching hands. Tell the interviewer you're getting over a minor cold. You don't want them to catch what you had. Uh, most interviewers will appreciate that gesture, appreciate the communication. You'll uh, teach them a little bit about yourself and often express their thanks for being forewarned. So uh, the truth is that companies should be establishing this policy um, regarding handshakes, up close and personal activities, not leaving, not leaving it to everybody else. But determine for yourself what you're comfortable with um, and you'll find out um, you'll establish that, that process, um, likely within those first few seconds as we're starting to go back to coffee meetings and so on. You'll start to be able to establish uh, that process of will you uh, give that half hug or maybe even that, uh, that uh, sniffing noses as, uh, as they tend to do in uh, New Zealand. So establish that and let me know what is happening out there in the, uh, in the, in the market, in the workplace. I'd love to hear. But especially for job seekers, make sure you're communicating, over-communicating. Not only will you be doing the right thing, but you'll actually be uh, setting the example for how you would communicate in your potential future job. So I, I do want to give a shout out to our amazing friends and sponsors of the show, uh, our good friends at Chicago Signature Limo. Irina Freeman is the best and actually expanding into uh, South Florida. So check them out, chicagosignaturelimo.com, as well as Tampa uh, signaturelimo.com. Check them out for all of your transportation needs, uh, because certainly we still want to be safe and careful, even in uh, even as we are starting to recover from COVID-19. And of course, our good friend Tom Mirabali from healthplanchicago.com for all insurance needs. We call him the guru on the show because he truly is and understands um, all of the Affordable Care Act and helps people find the plan that they need. And we'll actually be having both Irina and Tom on the program next week. So make sure you tune in for that. And as always, go to my website, shalomkline.com to download podcasts from the show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We're in our eighth year of the program. Uh, visit shalomkline.com and check out my other podcast on your favorite podcast apps called We All Serve. It's for military leaders and uh, folks that have put the uniform on and talking about their uh, their lessons and service this past week. Uh, the retired Sergeant Major of the Army, Dan Daly, talked about his 30 plus years in service, as well as his experiences in leadership in the top senior enlisted position in the United States Army. You don't want to miss it. But when you get on your favorite podcast app, make sure you're clicking subscribe, rate, review, and share and get down to business. All of our conversations are available there for your listening pleasure. So be sure to share it with a friend, a colleague. And coming up after the break, we will continue our conversation all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We already had a great lineup in store. Um, and, um, and we've got um, Seth Levine joining us after the break. So 
don't touch that dial. We will return with more small business jobs and entrepreneurship. But again, get on my website, shalomkline.com. And be sure to check out our sponsors, chicagosignaturelimo.com, as well as healthplanchicago.com. Again, um, we'll be right back. Follow me on Twitter, at shalomkline. But don't touch that dial. We'll return in just a moment. Welcome back. As promised, I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by the author of The New Builders, Face-to-Face with the True Future of Business. The author is Seth Levine, partner and co-founder at the venture capital firm Foundry Group, an award-winning business journalist. Seth, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Loom. The award-winning part is my co-author, actually, Elizabeth uh, McBride, but I'll, I'll take credit while it's just me here. Thanks for that. You should. It, hey, listen, <laughs> she shared the co-piece, um, so you, should, you, get, you get all the credit, and she gets your credit, too, so there we go. So um, truly a pleasure, and um, we're going to talk about the book, but i love to get to know the person behind the microphone. So tell us your story and how you got into uh, both your world of the venture capital as well as, of course, the book. Yeah, well, happy to. Uh, I'll tell the very abbreviated version because uh, they're probably more important things for us to talk about eventually. But uh, I grew up on the East Coast. I went to school in the Midwest. I spent some time working in, in New York in the banking world. Uh, and then I moved to Colorado about uh, a little over 20 years ago. Uh, I've been a venture capitalist for most of that 20 years. I worked for a few different companies doing corporate development, M&A, uh, and actually ended up being kind of a general manager type person for a number of years, ran a big business or big, big portion of a, a public company for a while. Um, and then turned my sights on venture, uh, which is my, been my day job now for the last roughly 20 years. Um, about, uh, first was working for a, a Palo Alto based venture firm, but about 12 years ago, uh, with, along with three other guys, I founded a Foundry Group, uh, which now manages about $3 billion. Uh, we invest actually a little over $3 billion. We invest in companies. We also invest in other venture funds. So that's, that's kind of my day job and my side job, other than being an author now, <laughs> uh, which was a lot of work. My, my second side job is I, I advise a number of funds and companies uh, around the globe. I have uh, quite a bit of interest in Palestine and, and, uh, and the Middle East region. And I also do quite a bit uh, in some markets in Africa as well. I love it. And um, you have a big, bold idea about the next generation of entrepreneurs who are going to play a critical role in helping rebuild communities, um, which is so critical, obviously, as we're hopefully rebounding, recovering um, from uh, the past year and a half of uh, what we will describe as, uh, as just the era of COVID. Um, so the book is, again, called The New Builders. And uh, I felt fortunate that earlier in uh, the show, we had a conversation with a new builder. So in your definition, who are the new builders and what drives them? Yeah, it turns out that the people that are starting businesses in the United States today are much more diverse. And maybe that shouldn't surprise folks, but it seems to much more diverse than they used to be. Um, specifically, there are more women starting businesses and there are more people of color, particularly black people starting businesses than ever before. And in fact, white people are 
the white men are the minority now of business owners in the United States. We call these people the new builders because we wanted to give them a title, give them some agency. Um, and really, they are the next generation of entrepreneurs in America. And, and we talk in the book a lot about why we need to support new builders if we are going to have a broad-based recovery from COVID. Um, and so it's critically important that we understand these, these trends in entrepreneurship, um, especially because Another thing that people don't realize is that entrepreneurship in the United States is slowly dying. And it has been for really the last 40 years, in particular, the last uh, 15 years or so. Um, and that's not what most people realize, especially people in my world in, in technology and venture capital, because because that tiny slice of the entrepreneurial universe is doing quite well. But entrepreneurship which is much broader than just people starting technology businesses. In fact, companies that are that are funded by venture capitalists only represent about 1% of businesses founded in any given year. Um, but those that broad group of companies, m- many of which are started by new builders, really needs our help, our support, uh, and to be revitalized if we are to come out of this COVID crisis. So you're touching on something really important. Again, I'm chatting with the co-author of The New Builders Face to Face and The True Future of Business. And Seth, you're touching on something really, really important, that entrepreneurship is not on the upswing, and certainly COVID-19 has affected that in a way that was already in motion. So what are some of the factors from your perspective that's making it increasingly difficult to start a small business, which we have always referred to as the backbone of the economy? Maybe the backbone isn't that strong anymore. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. The backbone is is not so strong. there are a number of different factors, but the main one is capital. Uh, if it, if I could just boil it down, right? It's it's getting um, more companies access to money. Um, and actually, there was a New York Times article the other day that that sort of asked. Um, there's we've seen a very recent uptick in entrepreneurship, in really in the application for business licenses. It perhaps is a silver lining to COVID that more people are exercising their entrepreneurial muscles uh, coming out of COVID, really probably out of necessity, which is often how communities, uh, you know, like the communities of people that are starting businesses now react to times of need. They are, are very self-sustaining and they're, they're go-getters. So they start businesses and they make it on their own. Um, perhaps, perhaps we're seeing a resurgence of entrepreneurship. Um, but the article asked a question, which is sort of an obvious question, uh, or there's an obvious answer, which is, is the stimulus responsible for uh, people deciding to start more businesses? And, I, and the answer is obvious to me because we know so clearly the connection between capital and, and business starts and business growth. And, and whether it's stimulus or some other money, um, getting more capital to more people who are new builders will resort, uh, result in more business starts. And I think that's clearly what we're seeing, how sustainable that is, um, how much that can counter- counteract the number of businesses, particularly small businesses, particularly businesses that were started by new builders that tend to uh, rely more on face-to-face interactions. Those businesses we know were disproportionately affected by COVID in the first place. We don't know how those businesses are going to come back. We don't know how that's going to mix with some of these new new businesses that are being started. But um, but I think if there is a reason to be hopeful, and I think there are plenty of reasons to be hopeful, but but a recent uh, recent set of data suggests that more people actually are coming out of COVID um, and starting starting companies on their own, which I think is great. I like the optimistic uh, note, and so on that uh, we're going to squeeze in a quick break because I, I like to stay on the uh, glass half full side of things. When we come back, we're going to talk more about some of the stories um, that you highlight in New Builders. Um, And I know that there are many of them. So again, you're listening to Get Down to Business, chatting with the author of The New Builders. We'll be right back.
Hey, welcome back. You're listening to Get Down to Business. I'm chatting with Seth Levine, who is the author of The New Builder's Faith, Faith of the True Future of Business. Truly critical conversation. Um, and I love the storytelling. I love the storytelling in this book. Um, so Seth, let's uh, get right back to it. You highlight several, uh, many, actually many examples of amazing stories of those new builders um, for which the book was titled. Uh, tell us some of those examples. Outstanding. I'd love to. And really, I mean, what we tried to do in the book was balance talking about data and trends, um, but punctuating those trends with the stories of people that are actually on the ground and doing the work. Uh, because it's, we think it's really important for people to, to understand who those new builders are. It's the same reason we put this uh, photo section in the middle, a photo insert in the middle of the book, because we wanted people to actually see what these new builders look like. Um, we, we ended the last segment by talking about access to capital. And, and one of the most compelling stories in the book, I believe, um, is the story that actually we start out chapter one with, which is this woman, Denaris Mazzara, who's a Dominican uh, baker in Lawrence, Massachusetts. And she started her business with $37 in food stamps. Uh, her husband had lost her job. Uh, she, she was uh, concerned about uh, sort of feeding her family. And her, her mother brought over $37 in food stamps to, for her to buy food. Instead of buying food, she bought the ingredients to make flan, uh, which she didn't know how to make actually up to that. She, she describes having sort of a divine moment where she uh, believed she was sort of instructed to make flan and, and that that would set her on a better path. And so she takes this flan to uh, the break room at Samsung, where she was working at the time. Um, and over the course, a couple of batches then over the course of a few weeks, it turns $37 into $500 and realizes that she's onto something. And so that started as a side business. Eventually, she got into cakes. Um, fortunately for her, she connected with this organization called Entrepreneurship for All, uh, which works uh, in a bunch of different markets in Massachusetts, now actually in a couple in Colorado, and is expanding in a few other uh, markets in New York, uh, New York State and, and Rhode Island. Um, and they helped her figure out, one, a better business and pricing strategy. She had been underpricing her cakes. Um, but two, uh, they connected her with a local banker. Um, and she was able to uh, raise some money to buy a building. Um, and now has a, a physical location. She employs uh, just over a dozen uh, women in her community in Lawrence. And it's, it's a real success story. And it's, by the way, it's a great story of someone who starts out needing some help from the community around her, um, including E for All, but also including a number of women that came together and, and experimented with her and taught her how to bake cakes uh, on the weekends as she got her business up and, uh, up and running. And now she is a pillar of her community. And now she's a mentor in the E for All programs and she's giving back to new businesses. Businesses. So uh, she is, uh, you can't pick your favorite uh, of the uh, of the stories because there's so many incredibly compelling stories, but um, hers, particularly because we were just talking about capital, hers is one that really uh, stands out to me as a, uh, you know, just a, an incredibly powerful example of someone with the help of a community really changing their lives and turning their lives around. And Seth, admit it, you like the flan. So, well, you it's know, delicious. That's, that's important yeah, <laughs> I've got a, I'm, I'm I've sure, got a I'm sweet sure. spot for it. Absolutely. So, in the book, again, there's more stories, including um, uh, Isaac Collins, son of two felons, and now successful black business and community leader. Um, so many good stories. I really, really love this. And I know you talk about some of the some of the uh, the policies, some of the areas that community banks play a role in all of these areas. Far, far, far too much for us to talk in our short conversation today, but I highly encourage our listeners to pick up a copy of The New Builders and get in touch with you, um, uh, Seth Levine, as well as your uh, co-author, Elizabeth, Mc Elizabeth McBride, who is an award-winning business journalist um, and uh, 
Seth, how can people get a hold of you? Outstanding. Maybe we'll win an award for the new builders and I can make that claim as well. Uh, the easiest way to find out more information and to find uh, resources to buy the book, including uh, local uh, sellers of the book, independent bookstores, is at our website, which is uh, www.thenewbuilders.com. You can also learn a little bit more about some of the people we profile in the book, see their pictures, hear a little bit about their stories. Um, and you can also join the movement. People have been tagging themselves on social media. I'm a new builder um, and uh, and finding their themselves as part of a our, our I cannot encourage our listeners strongly enough to pick up a copy of the book. Seth Levine, thanks so much for joining us and for sharing those stories and come back in. We'd love to talk some more about it. To success, let's get down to business. That's a wrap for this week. We'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on 560 and The Answer. 